Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of Autodesk's Digital Builder podcast. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, we are discussing the world of reality capture and site scanning, looking closely at the role this technology plays in the construction industry. To help tell the story, I'm joined by Kip Ivey and Adam Satino. Kip has a 20-plus year journey in construction technology and currently supports Faro Technologies as an applications business development manager. His industry experience ranges from the world of estimating, BIM applications, and 3D reality capture to the use of quadruped robotic solutions, and much more. And Adam has been in the AEC industry for 17 years. He spent seven in design as an architect and the last 10 working in construction as a director of VDC. Most recently, his fiery passion for identifying where technology can improve how we design and build has led him to the tech world, joining the team at OpenSpace as their solutions engineer manager. Thanks for joining me on the show today, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Well, good afternoon. All right, and I'm really excited to kind of jump into the nuance of reality capture. And to start us off today, I want to spend some time unpacking the what and why behind reality capture and site scanning, including learning more about the different technology that ties into the concept. And once we lay that groundwork together, we'll learn about how to evaluate the technology for your business and hear some guidance from today's guests on implementing reality capture into your own workflows. So for the benefit of those out there listening that aren't familiar with today's topic, Adam, can you start by clearly defining what reality capture and site scanning really is within the context of construction? Yeah, absolutely. I would define reality capture as digitizing the real world by capturing the environment and build world around us. And we can kind of break this down into three categories of the what, why, and how. And the what is, what are you going to capture? For the most part, if you can see it, you can capture it. This could be an existing building, could be post-tension cables before a slab is placed. It could be general progress of a project or some of the unusual things that I've had a chance to capture like the inside of a 28 foot globe that we had a pick plan and transport across campus, which was really cool. Um, I reached my hand into a cockroach filled confined space to capture the invert of a pipe, uh, which was really <laughs> gross. That sounds rough. I mean, valuable, <laughs> yeah. but rough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it saved two weeks of going through the process of uh, getting somebody to enter that confined space, uh, but it was certainly gross. And I've had the chance to help capture Fenway with a drone, which was really, really cool. And the why is, you know, why do you need this information in the first place? Are you trying to document existing conditions to create a model from it? Do you want to use this information to plan better, be more efficient, make more informed decisions to resolve issues out in the field? And then you have the how. Let's be honest, everybody has a reality capture tool in their pocket. Everybody can take pictures with their cell phone. And even some of the new ones have LiDAR in it, so you can scan with your cell phone now, too, as well. Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, when you think about the you know reality capture, there are so many tangential functions of use of the data, even after. But uh, you know, today, the world of reality capture is using everything from the world of not just construction, but all the way into the world of forensics, um, the movie industry, the gaming industry, you know, historical preservation, those kind of functions, too. So it is 
you know, like like Adam said, it is about the digitization of the real world and bringing it back into the digital space. So I really like the the kind of walkthrough that you both have done so far on just that high level conversation, and it's part of why I was so excited to get into this topic today because it is so wide in scope. Like there's there's so much to consider as far as potential, which is awesome, but also can be a bit overwhelming if you're new to the technology. So it's going to be fun to kind of deconstruct where people can begin and and you know the impacts of that. But Kip, I I want to lean on your experience in AEC and learn a little bit more about the technology specifically tied to reality capture. Can you tell us a bit more about the different types of hardware and tech that wrap into this, uh, this space? Yeah, from a, from a sensory perspective, right, a sensor perspective, it re really runs the gambit. I think if you really start at the most rudimentary side, the, the basics, that's going to be in the world of using photos, right? Whether it's layered digital images, even you know whether it's through a standard SLR style digital imagery, drone-based imagery, and then of course now as we migrate move into the world of 360 photos, using the Ricoh Theta or some of the other um, you know 360 capture tools, and then you get into you know what's commonly referred to as scanning, and um, you have both SLAM um, type uh, function where you're it's a much more mobile function, and then the standard function that we're all familiar with, which is a, a tripod-based uh, function, which is commonly referred to as LiDAR scanning or terrestrial scanning. Now, those particular sensors can be modified in such ways that they can be either stationary or mobile or even aerial, right? So on the back of a vehicle, on a push cart, or obviously being flown with a drone. Those are probably the that's really the main set of tools used within the, the confines of reality capture. Yeah, I, I, I've always considered it like there's a reality capture toolbox and all those tools that Kip just mentioned fall into that toolbox. And it's really what is the end goal you're trying to get to is what determines what tool you're going to use. If you want historical data and want to track progress at a high frequency, that's going to be your camera or tools like open space. If you need a high level accuracy and be able to measure stuff down to 60 of an inch, that's gonna be your laser scanner. If you need to capture a large site to plan logistics, that's probably gonna be your drone. So it really depends you know, on what the end results you wanna to get to is to determine what tool you're gonna to use and they all fall within that toolbox. And access plays a big part into it, speed. Of collection plays into there's a you know there's this huge fine line throughout all the sensor data between the concept of accuracy and speed right it is a balancing act and we all walk that walk that tightrope um, every day as we develop uh, solutions for our customers it's so cool seeing all of the different potential tech that wraps up into this now instead of you know 10 years ago you might have set up your laser scanner you know pushed a button and quietly tiptoed away and now you've got you know wearables the drones everything that wraps up into that is so interesting and also i think adaptable to so many different use cases now that the the capabilities are just rapidly expanding it's a really cool moment i mean i think i think you know 10 years ago 11 years ago i remember I was working with a scanner that was about 140 pounds of gear. I mean, it literally had a battery on it. I thought you could jumpstart the space shuttle with, and, <laughs> and you know, and it was slow. It was, you know, maybe took 100,000 points um, a second uh, on a good day. Um, you know, now we're dealing with sensors that are literally not even one third that size. You know, one fifth 
Yeah, and in that iPhone example you mentioned a moment ago, that's that's come up a couple times on the show. And of course, it depends on the level of accuracy that your expectations have as far as if you want to adopt that tool. But even if just a, a feeler to say, okay, like how do we interpret this data? Like, cool place to start. And I'm sure somebody on your project site has a, an iPhone 11 kicking around that you can give it yeah. a go with. Well, I mean, we the way I can, somebody asked me about that once, and I said, well, look, I would use an iPhone, that type of LiDAR collection, if I were going to go get a quotation for the countertops in my kitchen. But I would not use it to fabricate those countertops, right? You know, and, that, and that's, you know, and, that, and that's, you know, kind of a, a layman's way to look at it, so... I like that because you've got that baseline expectation of, okay, I have enough data to, you know, make some decisions now. I, I understand the, the circumstance, whether it's your kitchen or something else, but not necessarily something you would want to send off and say, this is the exact spec down to the half millimeter and go build. <laughs> you've got to exactly. do a, another litmus yeah. test to make sure you've got the, the right data in their hands for that next step. But I think this leads into a, a nice segue into the next question I had. And Adam, I want to throw this one your direction. Are there any reality capture or site scanning myths that or misconceptions that you come across regularly that we need to do away with before we get any further into today's conversation? Yeah, I've got a few I can bring up. One is that it takes too long. You know, photos, 360 images are quick, but even the tools that take more time to capture and process, I would argue, what takes longer? Does a few days or a week or two up front take longer then when there's issues in the field and you have delays because you got to redesign and refabricate. I mean, I have a good example of this where we were working on a building and the, uh, the design team went through with their laser measure tool and measured floor to ceiling, eight feet, eight feet, eight feet. So they assumed it was a nice flat straight section. And as we started demo this space, we realized something was wrong. And we, I got a call, hey, can we laser scan this place? Sure, we'll go do that. And what we found is the floor above and below, this was down on the bottom of an old building in, in, in Boston, sloped about two feet from one end to the other over 40 feet. And this was going to be a performance space with a dining hall, with a large ducts and tons of equipment. Sloping floors and ceilings don't work well for that. And what it turned out to be is that it was an old piano retail store on the level above, and they would deliver the pianos in the back, and they would roll them up to the front. And that's why the floors were sloped. But had that building been scanned during design, we would have thought we screwed up when we did the capturing, but we would have dug into it, found out that was the actual case, taken care of into design. But instead, that caused a month or two months of delays because there was so much rework that had to be done. Another one is it has to be super accurate. You know, going back to what Kip said with his, with his kitchen counter, it really depends on the use. In some instances, that 16th inch accuracy with a laser scanner is what you need. In some instances, an inch or two with photogrammetry is just fine. Another misconception is too expensive. You know, yeah, in some cases, there's some of the equipment that's expensive, but there's others that aren't. And like I said, everybody's got a reality capture device in their pocket. And the final one would be that it's just for VDC. I love your point about it not being only for the VDC engineers. It's an important point because the technology has become more accessible and it also gives everybody more data that they can now make decisions from and everybody kind of benefits from that at the end of the day. So thank you for mentioning that. But with the, the first project with the, the pianos uh, in, the, in the sloping floor, was it such a big space that if you were standing in it, you couldn't tell that it had that slope? But if somebody had 
thrown a handful of marbles on the floor, they would all skitter to one side. <laughs> <laughs> it was what, what it was. It was a bunch of office spaces. So you didn't really perceive it. There wasn't a long hallway. There wasn't any, there, there wasn't a big area that you could really tell it was sloping from. So as you're going into little room to little room, it just seemed like a normal floor. It wasn't sloping enough where it was apparent in those small areas. But if there was a big long corridor, you probably would have noticed it because it, it sloped a lot over a pretty short span. <laughs> Get in those scenarios, and that's where you really start to understand, start thinking about, you know, when you look about single point measurement, you know, and because what we're talking about here is millions of measurements done in a period of time, right? When you start talking about single point measurement, I always make this statement, and some people, you know, look at me like I'm crazy. But the problem with single point measurement, unless you measure where it's wrong, everything seems accurate. So, you know, and you don't get that nuanced um, information sometimes just by doing single point measurement or single point collection. I, I like that context. And it just seems, if you think about it in that big picture, it'd be very easy to look at a very narrow segment of any project or any element. Uh, as like Adam said, the, the offices, since it was structured that way, you couldn't tell. If you had a big long hallway, you go, okay, that looks a little strange there. And so, you know, having a, a piece of technology where you can step back and, and see that bigger picture and make meaningful decisions from it seems like a, a value add for a, for a project, to, to say the least. You know, you can't pick up a trade magazine today without seeing the word digital twin. You just can't. And everybody has a digital twin in their head or what their concept of what digital twin is. And I, in, in my world, it's, to me, it's a leave, living, breathing document that can be appended over time, right? And it just happens to be a digital document. But you start looking at the tangential functions of reality capture, right? So we're talking about a floor of the sloping. Floor flatness is a prime example. I was in a building recently. It was just built probably within the last year. But it was a massive structure. But there was an eight-foot difference between end one and end two, right? And it was going to be a situation. It was going to be a distribution center with a whole bunch of robotics running around. And obviously, they couldn't have that. So they actually had to pour a secondary cap um, to get the area level. And the only reason they were able to, because they didn't check it with a laser scanner. They were just running dipsticks and doing cross-sections and so forth. But it was such a massive structure. So that's that one tangential function, I think, of, 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 of reality capture that, you know, is beyond the VDC side and actually into the world of, um, you know, operations and construction. So, yeah. And, and it feels like you step you step into an, an element where you get to justify the cost of whatever equipment you're buying pretty quickly because I, I can't imagine how much pouring that secondary cap ended up costing the uh, the customer at the end of the day versus you know spending whatever it would cost to buy appropriate laser scanning technology to uh, have mitigated that problem and that collection process is minutes we're not talking days or weeks right you know the concept of reality capture allows us literally to do in minutes what used to take days if not weeks. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear the value add is, is pretty apparent for some of these things. And the real world examples, I think, are, are really beneficial as we kind of deconstruct what could be perceived as a, a complex element of technology. But Kip, I want to build on something you shared a moment ago and look at the different stakeholders on a project. And if you look at, say, examples of general contractors or owners, you know, actually out there leveraging reality capture on their projects right now, is there anything else that would be relevant to mention in that context? If you start at the beginning, right, the engineering level, now, obviously, you have to sometimes weigh the differences between am I dealing in a retrofit situation or am I dealing, you know, dealing in a new construction? The stakeholders in that function are, you know, and usability of the data or how the data is being used is going to 
differentiate or change a little bit, and even some of the workflows may change. Um, but from an engineering level, obviously, um, you're doing uh, large site survey work, right? Um, um, architectural, even potentially a heritage survey if you're dealing with a, a situation where you're dealing with, um, you know, a, kind of a brownfield to greenfield site kind of function. Reality Capture provides an exorbitant amount of data um, that's probably going to be um, a combination of both terrestrial and, and aerial based, right? And then you start getting into, okay, now the superstructure's up. Now I need to check, you know, is the steel in the right location? I got to check with steel deformation. I could, you know, is the steel beginning to slope? Um, does the steel slope once it's capped, right? Once the, you know, the upper belt levels are floor, how does it settle, right? And then you start getting into the concept of scan the BIM, right? And that's going to work with uh, across all, you know, stakeholders within the confines of the structure, especially the MEP trades. And then you get into capturing the built conditions. So you can create the as-built drawings that are then turned over to the to the owner. And then sort of from there, the owner now has the ability to have this digital representation of both the internal, um, the guts of the building as it's been captured over time, as well as the external. And they have that for legacy information down the road for um, any type of uh, retrofit down the road or um, even from insurance functions and anything in between. So there's, I mean, there, I see, I don't think there's a trade potentially except, actually, I don't even, I don't even know today, in today's world, I don't even, I was going to say painters, but then I started thinking about, well, look, you know, if I was a painter, I could use 360 photos, and if I, especially if I want to verify, verify the number of square foot, you know, average square foot in a particular area that needs to be covered within a given period of time, maybe even for progress or billing tracking, right? So I really don't think, um, I really don't think there's a trade today that can't benefit from some facet of a reality capture. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I mean, it wouldn't be a conversation these days if we didn't talk about COVID, right? And that has kind of changed how people are using reality capture. It's being requested more and more. And, you know, there's the, you know, like, like Kip was talking about the laser scanning outputs, but then there's the daily photos of progress tracking that these owners want to be able to virtually review what's going on their projects without having to visit the site and go to the site. Even before COVID, we actually did, you know, a pilot with uh, open space on the phase three build out of Autodesk's Boston office there. And the main decision makers for Autodesk, they were in San Francisco. They limited three to four visits just because they could walk the site virtually. And that was even before COVID. And now with this, you got you know, I think laser scanning is going to pick up. Obviously, these 360 images and progress photos in general are picking up. Everybody's latching on to this and everybody's seeing the value there. It kind of has given it a real kickstart. Yeah. yeah I had a customer that was does, does a lot of work in the nuclear space and even in the biofarm world. And they're dealing a lot of work, um, a lot of stuff within the concept of especially clean rooms and, and dosed environments. And obviously, a dosed environment is real simple. Everybody wants to mitigate human interaction within a dosed environment as much as you possibly can. But in the biofarm bio world, they were just on the process of determining how they were going to retrofit within the context of this particular structure, right? So through the combination of using 360 photos and uh, LiDAR scanning, they were able to take that information, literally throw it up into a virtual world, right? Uh, bring, actually brought the entire group um, into the world via Oculus, and people were actually able to walk the site and do basic measurements and all the other kind of context within that site without anybody having to, except for the single person that captured the data, 
into that clean room environment, and they were able to collaborate from all over the United States. Yeah, I think that the pandemic is, is everybody's sometimes tired of talking about it, but I, I think it's a really important element of, of this conversation specifically because we were getting to the point we're at today with some of these reality capture tools pre-pandemic, but it was a lever of change that accelerated that conversation at a rate that I don't think would have happened over the last two years if if we weren't in the current environment that we're in. And not to diminish the, the stressors and challenges that everybody's still you know working through today, but there definitely is a, a silver lining from uh, the rapid digitization of construction in a way that really improves everybody's workflows. It's changed the way we approach work to a degree. And granted, we're not a construction company is not necessarily like a technology company who can go fully remote, never be in person ever again. There's there's always a hybrid element because we're we're building stuff, obviously. That's, yep. You gotta get out and, and build the thing. Yeah, but I I can't drive a nail from here, right? <laughs> so, with the advancements of robotics, maybe down the line, but we're not not yeah, quite some there way yet. down the road, right? But it's, it's I may be able to, I might be able to pick the hammer up, <laughs> but you know, that's, you know, that might that we can do. But so. it it does bring me into my next question, tied to just general digitization strategies and the importance of data. And I always like to make a point here where having a documented data strategy in today's construction environment is incredibly important and it's often kind of fallen to the the team the VDC team to, to manage data just because they're very familiar with technology but data is, is largely everybody's responsibility in a project now and I'm gonna plug something that we recently released and there's a recent episode that you should check out if you're interested in data strategies out there uh, appreciated listeners but it's called the harnessing the data advantage in construction and we worked with FMI corporation to better understand you know the challenges everybody has with the consumption of data, the capturing of it, and then the actual leveraging of it. And we found an alarming number of companies don't have a data strategy in any formal way implemented. And it's a huge opportunity for massive improvements within an organization that people could control because they can control their own data to a, a, a really high degree. And so aside from that plug, uh, coming back to today's conversation, I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on the increasing volume of data that we have and managing it within the context of reality capture and how it plays into data strategies. I've made the comment many, many times in previous talks or speeches that I've given that data is becoming the new oil, right, in many ways. And, and I'm not, I don't mean that to be overly, you know, complex. Um, what I mean is I think, think about, we talked just earlier on about where the sensors have come in 10 years. Think about what hard drives have done in 10 years. Right. I mean, 10 years ago, if I had bought a two terabyte hard drive, it would have cost me thousands of dollars. Now I can buy one for a couple hundred bucks. And not only is it a ter two terabyte hard drive, but it's a two terabyte solid state hard drive. So I don't have to worry about that little needle dropping. And, and so, but it's still today, when you think about it, it amazes me as I go to these conferences and somebody says, well, what are you doing with all this data? Oh, we're shipping hard drives. And I'm like, you're kidding me. You're doing what? You're still mailing hard drives in today's world? You know, the, the concept of, of, of the computing is in many ways now catching up to what we've all hoped it would do someday. And that is the ability to provide accessibility data um, on the fly. 
So I don't have to have the data on the computer anymore. I don't have to have the data on the computer that I'm work, even working on. You know, we have a collaboration tool that allows us to place everything into the cloud. And, and you don't even have to have the data on the computer and you can still pull measures. You can still walk this job site. You can still virtual reality and, you know, and, and do export files if you want. And so, you know, I, many times when we talk about digitization strategy, it all starts with adoption and implementation, right? And then you get into, okay, do I need it for visualization? Do I need it for verification, right? But then it really comes down to how to, what is the collaboration around that function? Um, and that's all part of that digitization strategy and the data manipulation that is required in, in today's digital world is should be a paramount function when creating any digitization strategy. Yeah, pulling everything out of those silos, whether it's a separate platform or a hard drive that's in the mail that nobody can access until it arrives, it's it's such a yeah. critical element of just really making sure our workflows are, are seamless now when everything lives in that central location. And more importantly, everybody has access to it in a way that they can consume it. It's a, an absolute game changer instead of being in an Excel doc, uh, doc in a folder that somebody that doesn't have access to or doesn't even know it's available. So, so many changes have come. And I was chuckling when you were talking about hard drive costs. I remember I was a, I was a bit of a computer nerd back in, in middle school and high school when I was younger. And I remember when an eight gigabyte hard drive came out and it was like $4,000. And I remember in the moment, I was like, gosh, if I could get an eight gigabyte hard drive, I would never need to buy a hard drive again for the rest of my life. And it's just yeah. such a, an yeah. interesting kind of look back at how it's changed as far as the volume and our ability to, you know, capture it and, and store it and manage it. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a wild world. It's almost like that, you know, one scene in Step Brothers when they make the bunk beds and they go, oh, we got so much room for so much. We can do so many more activities. Right. <laughs> um, and and, you know, I, I, you know, once again, you start, you know, when you start dating yourself to your vintage year. I remember my first computer didn't even have a hard drive. And, and I remember when I got a hundred megabyte hard drive, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is huge. I'm never going to fill it up. <laughs> right. And then I got. 32 colors and I was like oh my gosh you know it's a game changer <laughs> so I'll go back to something I said at the beginning about uh, yeah. about the why and, the, and these tools are you know they're supposed to help the field teams they're supposed to help them plan better they're supposed to help them be more efficient and and help them make more informed uh, decisions to resolve resolve those issues and if your strategy isn't following that then it might not be the right, right strategy and, you know, every tech company out there says that their tool is the one that can make it finish ahead of schedule and under budget. And I'm sorry, but there isn't one single tool that can do that on its own. It's, it's all these tools together. And it's not even the tools themselves. It's, it's the people in the field and how they use them. You know, if the people in the field know when the right time to use these tools is and what the value can bring, then these tools can play a huge role in helping with those whys. Yeah, I mean, education is key, right? Um, you know, and, and I think anybody listening today, you know, do your research. But, you know, my grandfather used to tell me the most expensive tool, right, is the one you don't have in your toolbox. And, and you know, when it comes to reality capture, that's true. What I mean by that is if you, if you go into a job site thinking that you're going to get submillimeter accuracy, through the use of photogrammetry, I got some bad news for you, right? You've got the wrong tool. If you think, right, that LiDAR scanning is the best tool for project documentation, especially progress documentation, I got some news for you, 
right? Um, and so it's always about the right tool for the right job and understanding those nuances. And, uh, and that's all going to start with education. Yeah, and I think that that intentional approach and listeners of the show hear me say intentionality all the time. So I apologize for burdening you all with that once again. But as you you know, start adopting these tools and think about the the data that you're capturing, if you're not being intentional at the start on what you actually want to do, you've made a, a bit of a stumble because now you're just gathering just for the sake of gathering. And not to say that you're not going to be able to do something useful or actionable with that data, but especially if you're bringing in a new workflow or a new tool or marrying the two of those into a single moment, you really need to think about what do I want to do? Because that decision will help you figure out how you're actually going to implement it and who you're going to roll it out to on the project and every little nuance that gets you from the start to the, the finish line of making those decisions with that data that you now have. Absolutely. Absolute. Reality capture is not a linear function. Right. It's just not, you know, people think, oh, you just collect and you move it out and you're done. And I'm like, no, it is a circular function. You really need to understand, first of all, where you want the end potential to be. Right. What is my result? And from there, what do I hope to gain? And from there, work backwards um, and, and figure out the appropriate tool to get you there. But, you know, I believe reality capture circular in the fact that it's not only is it us taking the real world and moving in a digital space, but there are tons of workflows where we're taking the digital space and moving it back into the real world for verification. So it is a much more of a circular reference than any type of uh, you know, linear process. So I will say there is some values to capture just for the sake of capturing as as well and uh we found a lot of use cases where you know we're never going to need this we, we might not but if you need it it's going to pay huge dividends and 80 percent of the time a year down the line you get that phone call i'm glad we did this can you get this for me uh you know <laughs> do we still have this information to go back and look at and and that always, you know, that's where like that aha moment hits and the value hits everybody in the field. You need those moments. And then as soon as they experience those, that's when they keep coming back for more and more and more. And the tools really, the adoption takes off. Yeah, you know, without, without question, without question, there is such a thing as not enough scans, but there is no such a thing as too many. So, you know, there, you collect more than you think you need because you just might need it. <laughs> Truth. And it's it's another proof point for a, a very intentional approach to adopting digital twins on projects, too, because now you've got, as Kip alluded to earlier, this living, breathing digital document where you can really check out the nuance of what you've built and why and go back and look at everything. And if it's put together in a way that's really consumable for your owner users at the end of the day, their O&M process is leagues better, warranty claims are very much straightforward because all that data is there instead of being handed a banker's box full of binders and CDs and saying all of your, you know, as built data, it's, it's there, but it doesn't change as the, as the building and the space evolves either at that point, too. If the guts of the digitization strategy, you know, in collecting of that data is appropriate, what I mean, you know, the grid system's appropriate and it's been surveyed and so forth and so on, and then it is potentially even permanent, it gives you the, then the ability to come back to that area down the road. We see this a lot in the world of industrial and manufacturing, and once again, getting away from the concept of construction, but in the world like automotive industry, for example, where they 
use, you know, have used some of our tools and have cut their engineering time down by, you know, 40 to 50 percent because they're able to just append the areas within the inline manufacturing process and do robotic simulations and so forth they're in the digital space. So if, as long as that digitization strategy is, is, is appropriate and uh, has some thought process behind it, then it gives you the ability to, down the road once again to append the data rather than constantly have to go back and recollect the whole thing over and over and over again, which is a true digital twin. So it makes sense. And, and the convergence of manufacturing and construction continues to be an ever increasingly spoken about topic. So there, there's a value add because the overlap as we you know streamline how we build, I think continues to be more and more prevalent. But I think we've got a really nice baseline now on what really reality capture is and the impact that it can have on how we build and collaborate on a project. But I think we can move to discussing the how our listeners should evaluate and select the right tech for their projects and pair that insight with some guidance on actually getting out and implementing the technology. So Kip, I've got a question I'd like to send your direction. Where should our listeners start when deciding which type of reality capture would be appropriate for their projects? And what's the evaluation criteria that they should be focusing on? Well, first thing first is obviously internally have a discussion about what do I want to get out of this reality capture tool. If it is a VDC team, most VDC guys are going to lean heavily towards the LiDAR space because they want to be able to do, um, you know, data analytics in relationship to are we in the right space and is everybody else in the right space? So they really need to look at um, what their goal is. And so if you're just um, somebody that's looking at uh, photo documentation, you know, documentation of progress tracking, if that's your you know, goal and to move that out into some of the uh, you know, great tools that are out there to allow me to do my RFIs and so forth and so on and document those kind of photo information, um, then they're definitely going to start with the, with the world of 360 photos. I think most people are going to, are going to migrate um, probably early on um, to the world of 360 photos first and then realize, okay, this is, this is a good start. Now I need to move what's the next, what's level two and then level three and then level four as they, move, as they uh, walk along that particular path. But it really comes down to what the individual contractor is and what they do within the confines of the, of the AEC process. You know, if they're if they're a heavy installer, then you know lidar is going to be kind of going to be their bread and butter. Yeah, and I I would add, you know first identify you know what's most important to you, which goes along with what you do. Is that speed? Is that accuracy? Is that accessibility to the data? Ease of use? Consistent and frequent capture rates? Progress tracking? And then step two is to research the tools that best fits, you know what's most important to you, and. Um, you know, we've done, I did a bunch of tests on the construction side, you know, that Autodesk Phase 3 one again, we had, we used it as a playground to test out a high-end laser scanner, a cheaper lower-end laser scanner, a Matterport, open space, and couldn't do drones inside. But I used another example for drones and really, really got the, you know, the amount of time to capture, the amount of time to process, the types of outputs it has, the use cases for each one. So we've got to research and then test trial and pilot. I I was always big on trials. I, I got sold once and never again. <laughs> I got sold on promises of what a product could do once and never again. So I always needed to test it. <laughs> and, and going back to, you know, what's important to you. Sometimes a lot of times you roll out a tool and 
you think that tool is going to have a certain value and fit certain use cases, but you find more and more for that tool. So it's, it's kind of trying to find not just the one that's advertised for, but where else it can fit in your big picture and, and fill in the pieces of the puzzle. Okay, now that we've covered how our listeners should be selecting their reality capture technology, where should they start when they're implementing it to ensure it's embraced by the project teams? Adam, I'd love to get your insight on this one first. Yeah, I mean, I just want to reiterate again, something we just pointed out is get that field teams in the decision-making process, and then this implementation process becomes a lot easier. If you already have their buy-in before you purchase the tool, they're going to want to use it because they're a part of that decision-making process. But I made that mistake once, another mistake I made once, and then didn't make again. <laughs> you want to get people's input. <laughs> so, but once you have purchased something and you've chosen a tool, I like to call it like you, you plant seeds. You really, you get the word out, you get in the field and maybe overhear something and start to pick out some use cases. I always thought the VDC team as more of, we were more of internal consultants, right? And a part of that is internal sales. So once we purchase something, it was sold to me. I, I love technology. I would always see the values. That's why you got to talk to the people in the field. But then once we purchase something, you also have to sell it to the users in the field so they know where the value is and they know that we have this tool. And then it's in the forefront of their mind when these situations come up to give the VDC team a call or if it's something in there you know, that they can use from their own site on their own, something that they bring out to the field and use. And then once you've planted those seeds and kind of have some use cases, the best next best thing is to, you know, identify your champions. There's obviously people at companies that are always into trying out the new technology and some that constantly fight it. And then there's those people who are in between. So you want those people who are always ready to explore something new, give them a shot, see where they see the value, see where they use it. And those are the ones who are going to start that adoption. And then that, you know, seed starts to sprout. And then once People have a few of those, like you mentioned it, quick wins. You want to focus on quick wins. Once you have some of those wins, you have some of those use cases, you can show the value, and then you get the word out again. Here's where we use it on this project. Here's where it was useful on project A, B, C. And now the entire company starts to see the value, and then they start to you know, implement it on their own projects. And, and, and then you're really getting that full adoption and getting the value out of the tool that you were hoping Together. I mean, there's always going to be naysayers, right? I um, mean, in, in every company, right? I remember, you know, years ago when I was my, one of my former employees, I was working around the world of the introduction of the use of total stations for layout in the world of MEP. And I remember having a conversation with a bunch of skilled trades guys, and they're like, oh, I'll never use it. I'll never use it. I'll never use it. Right. And then literally six months later, the guy's like, I don't know how we ever lived without it. Right. And, you know, and, and I think there are many low impact ways to look at the implementation of, a, of 3D reality capture, especially some of the more that have the tendency to broach more of the higher end of the capital expenditure level. There's a lot of great service providers out there that can provide um, scanning as a service and even rental houses. Um, we have some amazing partners that rent our scanners every day. And it does give you the ability to touch use and consume and at a very much low, a very low impact function so that you can okay this makes perfect sense for me now we're just going to go ahead and buy our own kind of function um you know so that 
that's another way to, you know, to help drive implementation if you have somebody internally that just says, absolutely not, we're not, we don't see a value in that right now of, of having to put out the capital expenditure at this point. Those are the best ones, the ones who fight it yeah. the most and you get that phone We've call. We've all had them. Right? We've all had them, right? <laughs> I get it now. They had that aha yeah. moment and they're like, all right, I get it yeah. now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think everybody listening and uh, just even the three of us have had a couple as we go, okay, I shouldn't have been as, you know, reluctant about X thing before we got into it, but you know you got to make your case and and build on it. But you, you both made some really great points, and I think just making sure that regardless of what technology you're adopting, if you're not trying to boil the ocean on day one, you're going to have a lot more approachable process to consider versus making a smaller choice and saying, okay, within this aspect that we can control entirely, let's build our proof case. Let's let's see how it works. Let's see how it goes. We have our case study now, if it goes well, to show to everybody else, and then we widen that scope. It's like if you decide you're going to do a data strategy and change the way you capture and standardize data across your entire organization on Tuesday, everybody's going to freak out because that's a massive undertaking to consider, especially for a large organization. But if you narrow that down a bit, you've got something more consumable and you get your quick wins, the aha moments start coming and hopefully you've got, you know, reality capture on all of your projects in two to three, six months, whatever it ends up taking. <laughs> you know, I, you know, here's a painful story. I had a, had a, um, a client that had bought a pre-manufactured engineered piping system and bought it based upon the, uh, the, the BIM drawings that were produced all the prefabrication was done, shipped to site, they start to install it and stuff doesn't fit. So they go back to the, they go back to the manufacturer and they say, this stuff doesn't fit. Um, so the, that manufacturer happened to have um, some scanning technology in their, in, their, in their toolbox. So they went down, they scanned the site and they said, well, okay, let's show you why it doesn't fit. This pump's in the wrong place, that pump's in the wrong place. This wasn't even on the drawings, right? And he said, there, nothing that you gave us matches <laughs> what you actually physically installed. Hence, it doesn't fit. And now that individual company is now a customer because all of a sudden that was their aha moment, right? And they said, okay, right, we get it now. I mean, we've all been in BIM meetings for a year where we, 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 we fight for every square inch above that ceiling space. And then we send guys out with tape measure to install it. And then we wonder why it doesn't fit. So, Eric, just to go off something you said, earlier that that made me think about this is is um you know you you kind of talked about systematically rolling things out and that's a big one too you're, you're not going to purchase all these at one time and throw them at the wall there is such thing as technology fatigue and if you're constantly throwing something out there you know people aren't gonna want to adopt it and learn another tool oh you got another one you got another one so you know start with the biggest bang for the buck you know what's going to give you the most value right away roll that out, get that adoption, get that implementation, then you get, get the next one in the loop and start gaining adoption on that one. And, and you just don't want to, you know, throw everything at everybody at once. And they're like, and if you're a manager and you're, you know, be, be very, you have to be cognizant of, of that, you know, a lot of these young kids that were coming into trades and I'm glad they're coming in. A lot of them have, you know, happy ears and happy eyes when it comes to technology. What I mean by that, they say that they see the shiny new tool and they're like, oh, my gosh. Right. But there's nothing worse than buying a tool and not using it. There's, that's, you, if you, as an owner, that was the greatest pain in my side when I was, was buying something and sitting there and watching it collect dust. 
It just drove me insane. I think the, the, the big point here, though, is use shiny new toy syndrome or uh, how, whatever you want to frame it as very intentionally. If you have a team that does get excited about technology, you don't want to throw everything at them every single day because there's too many things to consider. But if you know they get excited when you bring something new to the table that has value, be very intentional about how you do that because you don't get fatigue. And then those that are excited hopefully we'll be able to work with those that either are a little more hesitant or aren't as tech savvy to kind of bring them along and help them get up to speed with whatever new workflow you're working on. Yep, and Shiny New, Tool, Shiny New Tools brings potential employees to you as well, right? Um, you know, if they see you as somebody that's progressive, if they see you as somebody that is driving the edge, eventually they're gonna say, I wanna work for that guy. Right. Or they're going to say, I want to go back to their employer and say, we need to be more like them. And, you know, so, you know, there is a fine balance there without question. And I know we've got a couple nerds on the call today with regards to construction technology, but <laughs> you, you hit on you hit on something that's super important is that perception in construction, especially for drawing in recent college grads and more tradespeople that are younger, is we have so much technology that is really cool to work with. Like it's it's just really interesting, innovative, you know, AR, VR, R, augmenting the workflow. So like you can go down the rabbit hole. And so cementing that mentality with those who might not be familiar with the nuances and scope that's potentially available in a career in this industry is something that I'm a bit passionate about and just think is really important to, to earmark for future conversations. It just reminded me just something recently and you know once again you kind of get to those shameless plug kind of functions every once in a blue moon but we just partnered with George Mason University and actually created a Faro digital digitization lab at George Mason University in the world of forensics Right. And the use of, uh, you know, 3D LIDAR scanning in the world of criminal forensics. You know, I think it's important that technology companies like us and like Faro, like Open Space and so forth and so on. And I know Autodesk, I know you've been, you know, have been doing this for a millennia almost. Right. Um, touching those young minds and making them understand that the world of construction is more like a game today than it ever has been. Right. You know, I gave a talk about the gamification of construction a while back and and it's truly what it is. It's 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 becoming more and more like something out of a comic book when I was a kid. And I find it. I just I, I'm just blown away by it. So I was just going to say, Kip, you, you, you mentioned, you know, students and, you know, attracting good talent and employees. It's also winning jobs, too. Like if, if you're not using tech, that's. To be honest, that's why my job was created at my previous office. They, we were not winning jobs. And one of the reasons was we weren't using technology like other companies were. So that's how the VDC department came to be about. I, I gave a talk at the MCAA a while back and I called it the line in the sand. And the whole thing was about the concept of, at, at that time, adoption of technology within, within the mechanical trades. And I said, you know, when I was in the trades, when I started my apprenticeship, 40 years ago, it was very easy to go to a particular job site and see, you know, what job site, um, and, and it was really, this was a kind of a union-based world, and I would say, you know, it was very easy to see a union-based versus a non-union-based function in those early, early days, and it all evolved around education, right? And, you know, but technology has taken that function and blurred it to the point, you know, now you have plasma tables in the sheet metal industry, anybody can do sheet metal fittings. Right. And now the new line in the sand is those that are adopting and using the new technologies to their to their advantage and those that aren't. 
that's the news. That's the new line in the sand today. Yeah, it's it's important, Adam. I, I chuckled when you were talking about the uh, how do we win new jobs. The uh, the former proposal manager and me, uh, we would have been best friends because it's like give me your betterments. Like what what are we bringing to the table as an organization that the com competition isn't doing or we're doing better or more innovative? And you really have to tell that narrative in any proposal that you're putting together as far as the the technology you're using, the impacts it's going to have to the owner, and of course now we're in the world. Of digital twins. So if you really have your tech stack dialed and you've got a great relationship with the owner, especially, you're able to bring so much more to the table and technology plays such a huge role in that early stage conversation as it does when you're out actually out on site building. All right. So I, I think it's time to pull out our crystal ball again this week and consider what's coming next in the world of construction technology. And I'm all ears for your predictions, both uh, Kip and Adam. I'm eager to hear what do you think reality capture is going to look like in the future? And then also, if there's any other tech you're just really geeking out about, I'd love to hear about that too. Kip, how about we start with you? Where, uh, where are we heading in, uh, in the eyes of uh, Kip Ivy? <laughs> so I honestly think, I don't think sensors are going to be, in other words, hardware side. I don't think that's the next big thing, right? I, I just... Don't, because there's only so much you can do with a scanner, for example. I can make them faster. I can make them collect millions and millions and gazillions of points. But eventually, it's just going to be good data for data's sake, right? Uh, unless, because it may or may not provide any true value. Um, so I think it's really going to come, you know, in this, what we're talking about today, I believe there's two functions, collection and consumption. The consumption is how we use that data, right? Um, what tools we're using and how we're using that data to aggregate it and provide collaboration downstream. I think that's the next big thing. I think the next big thing is going to be from the consumption side. The, the use of 5G technology, how that is going to impact the, the ability to transmit and offload data, providing that instantaneous gratification that we're so used to in, in today's world. So I think the next big thing is going to come, come from um, the consumption side more so than necessarily from the sensor side. Nice. It's 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 all about how we access that data and make decisions from it more so than, you know, this new piece of technology. And, and I think that makes sense too. Like once you get down to the, the, the millimeter in your scans or something, like how much deeper can you go? I guess it's it's stepping back into that bigger picture of, okay, like how do we make decisions from it, consume it, and then kind of build on it from there as far as our global digitization strategy as a construction organization. So Adam, how about you? Where do you think we're headed in the future with reality capture and the, the broader scope of construction technology? It's along the similar lines. I think we're going to see a real increase in tools that automate insights and quality control. And you can kind of think of this as a digital co-pilot, right? And one of the reasons I joined the team here at OpenSpace, I evaluated you know, software for eight, nine years. And what I felt a lot of companies did was make those bells and whistles to be able to sell the software really well. But when you got into it, the core product of it wasn't very easy to use. It wasn't easy to share. It wasn't accessible for people in the field. And I feel like what we've done here is has created a really strong core product. It, we're capturing on our walks a 1360 image every half second, right? So that's a lot of data. A 10 minute walk is 1200 images automatically overlaid on your plan that you can click on within 15 to 20 minutes after you do that walk. And we're collecting so much data that core products are easy to use. Now we have all that information. Now we can build those bells and whistles on top and those cool features with that, which is what we're doing, clear sight and progress tracking. We're starting to provide those automatic insights 
And now when you doing the same walks you normally do to collect those images, now they're being analyzed by the computer vision to give percent complete per floor for each task that you have on your uh, on your critical path. So that's kind of really where I see it going because the problem before was the amount of time it took to capture, process, and organize data before someone could even ingest it. So the information was kind of outdated by the time they could receive it. Now we're able to capture everything so fast and so much data, it's too much for any one person to go through. So you really need that automation and that help to get those insights from the data that you're collecting. Well, it's great because it becomes an augmentation conversation more so than than anything else. And I know a lot of people have been hesitant towards some of the, the more, I guess, like machine learning and AI and everything else at times within the scope of construction because there was concerns over eliminating jobs or changing the way we work in a way that wasn't necessarily beneficial to our labor force. But that's absolutely not the case because it's now it's a conversation of how do we take what people are able to do and make them able to do it better at a scale that a person couldn't do on their own. So if you're able to have that information in real time and you're able to augment all of those conversations and really make meaningful decisions with that data, you're having an entirely different conversation than you would have had before. And I think also we're, we're in a really neat moment where there was this massive uptick in construction technology over the last five to eight years. Just new companies, new organizations, and it's awesome to see. Everybody's excited. There's innovation coming from all directions. But now we have this really important moment where people are aligning on a, a certain platform or within a certain scope of tools and that data is being centralized into a way where the workflows are obvious the data moves from place to place in a seamless way and you're not you know chasing things now it's just available for to make those decisions so i agree with both of you i think that's the direction we're headed it feels like we're just getting better now it's this great moment of uh, iteration <laughs> And, and then you look at, you see some of the additive functions that now that are, you know, matriculating into the construction space. You know, you mentioned in my bio about quadruped robotic solutions, right? You know, you can't pick up a trade magazine, or watch 60 minutes now and not see this yellow dog walking around, right? And, you know, and there's a myriad of robotic solutions now that are driving um, deeper and deeper into the construction space. The use of, uh, you know, like quadruped solutions like uh Boston Dynamics and so forth, and being able to marry sensors to that and use it as a delivery platform. And, you know, for me, the soft spot obviously is confined space, hazardous conditions, anything that is detrimental to the human condition. But eventually you're going to get more and more into that augmented or not augmented, but autonomous world of collection. Uh, once again, to try to mitigate human interaction potentially in off hours and so forth. You know, those kind of additive functions to the sensors are going to drive adoption and implementation, potentially in even areas right now where we, we haven't even seen. So everybody out there listening, it sounds like you should be excited about the uh, the uptick in reality capture out in the ecosystem of construction. And it feels like there's some cool stuff in the uh, in the works. So I'm super excited to see where this goes and very sincerely appreciative of the, the kind of debrief that we've gotten on the what, why, and of course the how. And I'd like to wrap our show. All of our listeners are very familiar with this question I ask all of our guests. And it's a fun one to see the, the range of responses that we get. So what is one tool that each of you will carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on. Kip, how about you kick this one off? Simple, a cell phone. Because there is a myriad of applications going to be done with a cell phone that will augment my day-to-day -day workflow. Are you an iPhone guy or an Android guy? I am an iPhone guy. 
I'm hoping someday you know, we'll get a clamshell iPhone and then I'll be really excited. So. <laughs> well, if we're texting each other, you weren't going to get any blue checks from me because I am uh, firmly in the uh, the Android box. But it's it's such a, a relevant answer because now we have this piece of technology in our pocket that allows that democratic access to data that we didn't have previously. You're not walking back to the yeah. site to go look at your plans. You're not getting a roll of you know shop drawings and revisions the day after you finished a scope of work that say you should have done it a different <laughs> way. Like that's all gone and then now you add in you know of course since you're in the iphone camp the lidar scanning and all the other fun tech tools that wrap up into one very important device that most everybody is going to have out on a project site so a solid answer you could have you could have an entire another you know uh, podcast just around the democratization of data so i'll uh, I'll, I'll pick you up for that one then because uh, i talk about it on every episode i'm sure some people are tired of it much like my my use of the uh, the word intentionality but it's so incredibly important within the space of the the work that all of uh, our listeners are out there doing so adam what about you what's one tool you will always carry with you regardless of the project uh, that you're working on i was going to go cell phone as well so i'll switch it up and go with with curiosity. Yep. Asking really meaningful questions about why with the intention of making improvements is great. And always finding ways to step outside of that box of, well, we've always done it this way. So we should always do it this way moving forward. And with the advent of technology and you know the ability to streamline all the workflows we're doing in construction or within any other ecosystem of you know the digitized world that we live in now, it's all incredibly important. So two cell phones sounds like uh, we're all on the same uh, path there. Adam, are you an Android guy or uh, or an iPhone guy? Where do you where do you fall in? I'm still Android, but now that we have a uh, LiDAR feature within our tool, I might have to switch to the new iPhone. Well, I'm sure it won't be, it won't be too long before somebody steps on that, uh, uh, from that side of the fence into that bad, into, into that space, I'm sure. <laughs> that, so. It sounds like an opportunity to, uh, to ask for a, a work expense phone. So keep that one uh, in your back <laughs> yep. pocket. You'll be the, the cool guy with two phones. Everybody, uh, everybody strives to be. <laughs> so I know, I know you're both working on some really cool stuff. So do either of you have anything you'd like to plug and, uh, and share with our listeners? Uh, Kip, how about you go start first? One thing I think I'm really excited about coming in 2022 is hopefully the return to the trade show environment. Um, the ability to get out and, and, and actually uh, engage again, something that I'm hoping um, um, this latest uh, variant doesn't kill um, because um, you know, we've got a busy January, you know, whether it be from World of Concrete all the way through uh, Geo Week and SPAR and so forth. So, you know, we're really excited as an organization to, um, to, to introduce some new, hopefully some new products coming down the pike as well as, you know, getting out to see our customers and clients again. I, I can relate to you on that one. And my hope for 2022 is at some point to do some form of a in-person podcast, whether it's at an event or in a studio with guests in real life instead of, you know, in the uh, the ether of the uh, the internet, it'd just be uh, a lot of fun to be in person again. So Adam, how about you? Anything uh, in the pipe that you'd like to share or, you know, opportunities coming up that you think our listeners would be interested in? Yeah, we have uh, you know a lot of cool stuff coming up on the roadmap, but probably the easiest thing to do if you want to learn more and hear from our customers' mouth, we just had our first conference called Open Space Waypoint. So if anybody wants to learn more, they can a uh, good one to search is Open Space Waypoint Felix, like Felix the Cat, and that's a good video. And that will also bring up some of the other ones as well. And you can hear what we're doing with you know 360 captures, you know progress tracking, and clear sight. And some of the other new tools that are coming down the pike on uh, 
on the roadmap. In January, we also got a promotion coming where if anyone spends $5,000 on open space, they get a free Insta360 camera. If anyone who spends $10,000 gets a free Ricoh Z1 high-res camera. Like people always like free stuff. And going to what Kip said with conferences, we'll be at the MEP Innovation in Tampa on January 24th to 26th. If anybody would like to meet somebody from open space in person. Nice. Well, it sounds like there is a lot of cool info to get if you found this interesting and want to one go go one click deeper and also uh, a way to get some cool tech and jump straight into uh, the world of reality capture. So I appreciate both of you sharing all of that. If uh, if our listeners want to connect with either of you directly, what's the uh, the best way for them to do so? It's uh, kip.ivy at pharaoh.com. Always go to www.pharaoh.com or feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm a pretty open book. Um, when it comes to this kind of thing. Perfect. Well, it sounds like Kip is ready to get your emails in. You should go find him on LinkedIn. Adam, how about you? <laughs> any uh, ideal ways for people to get in touch with you if they've got any questions for you? Same. Pretty open here. It's LinkedIn, and my email is adam at openspace.ai. All right. I don't do Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. So those are the two places you can find me. Perfect. Well, it's uh, it's time for everybody to start sending those emails. And of course, if uh, <laughs> be in touch, they're, they're ready for your emails. Everybody wants them. TikTok coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <Right. laughs> well, for those still out there listening, thanks for taking the time to join us on this episode of Autodesk Digital Builder Podcast. If you've got any questions or want to suggest a guest for a future episode, reach out to me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at builder underscore digital. And if you're enjoying our show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. All you have to do is open the app, find Digital Builder, and select the number of stars that you think we deserve. It's super easy and makes a real difference for our team as we produce the show. And of course, you can always like, subscribe to, or share this episode if you enjoyed it. And on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.